You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Welcome home to the soft opening of the Cameo Theater, man. Welcome. Welcome. So, uh, soft opening today. We'll do a grand opening sometime later when we work out all the kinks and uh, get all the renovations done in our building next door um, and get our restrooms working. Uh, But this morning when I woke up, I was going to my regular Bible reading plan, and I just have this plan that my phone, you know, creates for me. And today's reading just happened to be Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3. And that won't mean a lot to some of you, but for me, it means a lot because Nehemiah was the book of the Bible that we studied through when we were starting the restoration of this building because the whole book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is about a man who couldn't take it, that his city was lying in rubble, and he had to do something about it to restore it. And that's precisely what God has done through you and I in this project to restore the Cameo Theater. And I want to say some thank yous today. First off, I want to say thank you to you, the people of City Church downtown, because you gave to the Restore Fund, and you were generous um, and invested in something that matters. And some of you gave sacrificially so that this could take place. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank the people of City Church downtown who were generous towards Restore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to thank our staff team. Uh, my wife, Jeannie, Humby Sebetta, of course, Robbie, Margot, Sadie, Michelle, sitting right down here, because this team worked double duty over the past couple of weeks to make sure that we could have church in here today. And so you guys will never know all the things they did behind the scenes to make sure that we could get into this place today. So thank you, staff, team, and particularly, yeah, yeah, thank them. In particular, I want to thank Jake Kreifels because you don't really know that much about Jake. You just think, hey, it's just a skinnier, better-looking version of Doug who can sing, right? (laughs) Uh, But really, uh, he grew up around construction. And so when he came on staff here, he took a major role in this renovation. And I can just assure you that we would not have had as quality of a building for the price that we renovated at, if not for Jake Christville. So I thank God for Jake, and wherever you are, Jake, around here, thank you, we love you. Thank you for the work that you did here. Also wanna thank uh, Cambridge contractors, uh, Rick Nanez, Roger Villarreal, who uh, put their heart and soul into this. Those, anybody who's built anything knows that good contractors that are like honest and stuff are hard to come by, and these are good men that put their heart and soul into this project. So I thank God for them. And most of all, I just want to thank the Lord. And I wanted to carve out a little prayer time before we get into the teaching today to thank God for what he's done here, because it was God who answered our prayers when we left church one day and we walked around this place and circled this property, and God was the one that gave us the opportunity to purchase this property in a hot downtown real estate market, and it never even went on the market, and we got it well below its appraised value, and now it's worth uh, like over double what it was worth then, and that's because of God and his grace to us. So let's bow before him now and thank him. God, we wanna thank you and we humble ourselves before you knowing that it was you who gave us 
the money and resources that we could, as a family, pool together and give to renovate this space with such a rich history. And it is you who's gathered us here. It was your vision to bring us together in the heart of the city, to love the city and love the people of this city. And God, it is in your heart uh, to restore not just downtown buildings, but what's more important than the buildings, the people. And so God, we give you honor, glory, and credit for all the good that takes place here at City Church downtown. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Well, uh, because of your generosity and hard work, uh, this place is becoming new. And in case you're new to City Church and you came with a friend or something today, we want you to understand that we're not satisfied with our church as it is. Uh, that is, our hearts. We want to grow in sacrificial love and service to the people of our city. We want to keep becoming new. We don't want to be satisfied with the old in our lives. And that's why we've been studying through this New Testament book of the Bible called Ephesians, uh, where Paul challenges us to become new. And the primary text that we've reminded ourselves of every week is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Look at it with me. It says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your what? New nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so in this series, we've given this one reminder of a big idea, and that is put on the new you. So I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, put on the new you, Jack. There you go. So I want to ask, what will you do to put on the new you? There is some sense in which God wants to make you new. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. And some of you are new believers, and it's like God wants to completely and radically change your life. And some of you are old believers and been following him, and he wants to take you to a new level of your commitment and experience of him that is beyond what you can even think up right now. And so since today's passage um, is going to answer a question, what does it mean to be mature? It made me think back to when I was a teenager, because when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a a new adult. I wanted to understand what it meant to be mature because I certainly wasn't mature and I'm working on it even today. But you know, um, when you're a teenager, it's confusing in our culture what it means to become an adult. How do you know you're mature? Because you go to a restaurant and they got the kids menu, right? And how old do you have to be where you don't order out the kids menu? It's like nine or 10, depending. And then girls, they have a quinceanera and that's supposed to mean that they're mature, but they most of them can't pay their rent. You know what I'm saying? Dad paid for the whole thing you know, mom and dad. So um, then you, you, you turn 16 and you can drive an automobile, you can drive a car, but you can't vote yet. So it's like, wow, I can put my life in danger in a car and 16-year-olds all over the city, reasons for airbags, you know what I'm saying? But it's like you're 16, you can drive a car and you got to be 18 to vote and join the military and die for your country. And even though you can join the military and die for your country, you still can't drink alcohol. That happens at age, what, 21. But even at 21, you'd think, hey, man, I can die for my country, and I, I'm legal to drink alcohol, uh, but you don't get to rent a car or get that break on your insurance until you're, what, 25, right? So wh where 
where is it that you become mature? Now, that's in a physical, emotional, developmental sense, but what about in a spiritual sense? What makes you a spiritually mature person? And when I first started really trying to follow Christ as a teenager, that's when I really submitted my life to Christ's lordship, um, uh, the, the, the religious environment I was in, they measured maturity by how much Bible knowledge you could get in order to argue with your Christian friends about Bible doctrine. See, is that what maturity is? Well, how do you know you're spiritually mature? What's a biblical marker of maturity? And today, I wanna submit one idea to you, and it's simply this, that your ability to be in unity with others is a definer of your spiritual maturity. And I wanna give you a life script today that'll help you do this. When you interact with other people, I want you to have this life script in mind, and it's simply this. We are one. And you know I'm going to do that deal where I make you say it to someone next to you like I always do. Um, And when you do it, I want you to hold up one finger. Now, the finger you hold up matters, okay? So let's go with the pointer (laughs) finger today. And so would you guys turn to someone next to you and tell them, we are one. Now, unity is a very important message today, especially in light of the disunity that we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia. As I said last week at City Church, we condemn all racism here. I mean, wouldn't it be boring to be a part of a church where everyone's just like you or everyone's just like me, see? Um, Recently, I visited a friend's church on the inner city west side, Metanoia Church, and my pastor friend Jubal Garcia, and Jubal asked me to come up and say a few words, and when he introduced me, he said, you know, Pastor Doug is an honorary Mexican. (laughs) To which I thought to myself, you know? (laughs) Well, then sometime back, uh, I visited another pastor's uh, friend's church on the inner city east side, okay? The the church on the west side, they're like us, very diverse, primarily Hispanic. The church on the the east side, they're primarily African-American over there, and they're a talkback church. You know what I mean by talkback? It's like, I talk, and then they're like, say stuff back at me, and I really like that. You know, at first, it was a little scary, but Pastor Bryant asked me to stand up and say a few words, and I went on one of my normal rants like you guys hear me do all the time, and I said, you know, the kingdom of God and uh, churches should be filled with everybody from bikers to bankers, and some lady says, help him, Lord. I thought, maybe I'm not doing it right. And so I kept on, and I said, the kingdom of God has got to be everybody from, like, PhDs to GEDs. And someone said, amen. So I thought, I need to light these people up. So I said, the kingdom of God should be made up of every different age, race, walk of life, from gangsters to grannies. You know, it's got to be people in Alamo Heights and even Avon for Hope. And someone said, Pariki, white boy. See, Hey, look, at City Church, racially speaking, we want to look like a love child between the west side and the east side, the north side, and even the south side, right? South side, you know I love doing that. You know it. We're so into diversity, we have like eight different color of chairs up in here, you know? So that's kind of city church 
downtown. We're very different, but we are what? One. Now, let me show you this in Ephesians, where Paul says in Ephesians 4, 3, look at it with me. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is what? One body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to what? One glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is a lot of ones, isn't it? Uh, And one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. I think Paul is trying to make a point here regarding oneness, isn't he? And isn't that what's missing in our world? And I want to show you from Ephesians 4 today how we can experience the kind of oneness that Paul is talking about. And the first part of this idea I want to show you is the gentleness of oneness, the gentleness of oneness. Look at verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You know, unfortunately, churches have become known for their intolerance rather than making allowances for each other's faults, you know. But the thing about the gentleness that Paul's talking about here, the gentleness and the love is what's in our heart, but it's not always an overly soft gentleness, you know. Have you ever met someone who's so soft and so squishy that they don't have any convictions? But look at what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15. It says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So we're speaking two things, truth and love, but we do so with gentleness. Now, have you ever gone to a doctor who is very gentle but didn't have the capacity and the ability to speak truth to you? That's dangerous, isn't it? It's dangerous to go to a doctor who won't tell you that you're diagnosed with cancer because you need to know the truth so that you can go through treatments that give you the best chance to be healed and change. And you know, Jesus was so big on oneness that he said, if you go to church and you have this gift to present at the altar and you realize that you're out of oneness with a brother or sister in Christ, he says, leave your gift at the altar, leave church right then and go make things right, get back into unity, and then you can come back and present your gift at the altar. Now, in recovery, we do these things called inventories, where we inventory everyone that we have broken oneness with, and we deal with it in our hearts and our souls, and that's how we grow in maturity. Now, what if someone doesn't want oneness with you? You know people like that. I know people like that. As odd as it is, for us to understand, why would anybody not like it? Why would anybody not want oneness with us? But there are people out there that don't. But you know what the Bible says to us about that? As long as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. There will be people who disagree, don't like you, don't like the truth that you speak. But as long as it depends on us, we want to be at peace with all people. Now, to help us become one, God has given us the gifts of oneness, the gifts of oneness. Look at Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. 
their apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be there's that word again, mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ. And so what God is, is showing us here through this text is that he's given us these gifts within the church. Some are apostles. You know what apostles do? They go and plant churches or they go and create environments of uh, oneness in Christ. They create new spaces where people can worship God and, and get to know him. And then there are the prophets. You know what the prophets do? They speak out boldly about the ways that oneness has been broken in the world and in the church. And then you have the evangelists. They're the ones that are gifted to help people come into a relationship with God and come into oneness with God. And then you have the pastor teachers. Uh, their role is to help the church learn oneness with each other in our relationships and uh, oneness with God's word to teach it to us so we know how to live in oneness. Now, when us pastors do our jobs, you grow in the third thing, and that is the maturity of oneness. Look at Ephesians 4.14. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And so when we talk about oneness, we're not talking about some naive oneness where we just believe that every religion and every philosophy of life is a truth. That's not oneness that the Bible is talking about at all. And you and I live in a culture that would lead us to believe that um, every religion and every philosophy is the same, just describing the one God, but looking at God from different angles. And that is not true. And the way that is typically communicated is kind of by a trite illustration of an elephant. And here's the way that people will propose it to us. They'll say that the different religions and the different philosophies of life are really just like these blind men who are touching an elephant and describing the elephant, and they're just describing what they've experienced and what they've seen. And so it's like when they touch the leg, it's like a tree trunk. And they say, well, uh, life is like a tree trunk. And then when they touch the, uh, uh, the, the trunk of the elephant, it's like a hose or a snake. Or when they touch the ear, it's like a leaf or a fan or something. And so you see how that would make sense to a lot of people? But what you got to understand is the problem with the little illustration is that the person who gives the illustration claims to be the only one who can see the whole elephant. And if you read through the Bible, you got to admit, Jesus claims to see the whole elephant. He created the elephant, see, according to the Bible. And so what we have to do is be honest and say, no, we're not a blind man describing one part of the elephant. We're those who have been made to see and we serve a God who created the whole planet along with every elephant in it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the way to oneness. And the thing about babies, it says it here in the text, we don't want to be immature like little children. Little babies will eat or take on anything, won't they? 
You watch your little kids when they're babies. You got to watch them, don't you? You got to put those covers on the plugs. They'll go up to electrical cord. They'll be like, ah, spaghetti. You know, they'll bite anything. They'll see like a glass with gasoline in it. It's like, ah, iced tea. You know, they'll, they'll eat anything. They'll put anything in their mouth. And we have to be discerning and mature, the Bible says. And here's what happens is that some, you know, more mature believers sometimes or people who have been studying the Bible a bit longer, they'll say, oh, they'll be judgmental towards the young Christians. Be like, oh, those, those young people, I can't believe uh, those new believers believe all the stupid things they believe. I can't believe that she relapsed into th- this behavior or that. You see what's going on there? But, but here's the deal. Every healthy church should have a lot of spiritual poopy diapers. You know what I'm saying? Our church sometimes, it, you know, from my vantage point, is a mess. I mean, I, 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 I deal with certain situations of different people in our church who are, are having accidents, you know what I mean? Relapsing, struggling, and that's always going to be the case. In a good church, there are always going to be young believers, new believers. And I want to tell you something. I thank God for the really mature believers who helped me grow in Christ who put up with my spiritual poopy diapers and my messes and the things that I struggled with that I should have been above, but I wasn't. And so we don't want to throw a lot of stones at our young believers. But young believers, let me challenge you just for a minute, because I know what some of you do, because I've I've had like a million conversations with you, okay? Here's what you do. You say, well, you know, I'm just a young believer. I'm just a new believer, and so I'm asking, you know, I can do this. I can do whatever, you know, because there's a lot of grace in our church. No, don't settle for that. Don't settle for being immature in the Lord. I want to challenge you to grow, become new. Move beyond where you are and grow. Don't use being a new believer as an excuse to not grow. Let's not accept this in ourselves or others that we love. But let me show you the fourth thing. Mature believers embrace the purpose of, of oneness, the purpose of oneness, which is a unified vision here at our church. Look at Ephesians 4.16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is two things. Look at this. Healthy and growing and full of love. So love is the umbrella over church health and church growth. Now, our mission here at City Church is that we exist to help irreligious people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so we want to continually help people come into our church who have never been to church or who are not church broken yet. They don't know when to stand up and when to sit down or, you know, words to the songs and all that kind of stuff. We welcome everyone, particularly people who are unchurched. Look, we're not here to just try and get people who are mad at their pastor somewhere else to come here. We're here to reach the people that don't have a pastor or have never had a pastor, see? We want to help irreligious people come. That's why our church grows, and it should continue to grow. And look, 
more than anybody else, uh, it's easy for me, and I like things to stay small and intimate and all of that, but we've got to continue to reach more people who don't have a relationship with Christ. And that's why next Sunday we're going to be doing baptisms right here in the theater. Uh, we've got a, a fair number of people signed up for baptism. In fact, if you're signed up, make sure and uh, invite all your friends to that. Um, but we also, at the same time, as we grow, we want to be healthy. We don't just want church growth, we want church health. And that's why we continually talk about tribes and groups being involved in community. And now we've rearranged Humby Sebeta's job role here at City Church downtown. Humby's going to be like a tribal chieftain, and he feels a calling to help us get to a place of church health here. And he's going to be empowering and helping those of you who are leading tribes, those of you that want to start tribes and groups of people where you can be in community with others. And as Humby and I have talked, we dream of a day where we have more people involved in healthy tribes and spiritual community than what we have attending here on the weekend. And so in the coming days, we are going to be very much about church health as we continue to grow. So keep Humby in your prayers as he leads the charge uh, in that. Now, where was I? Okay, here we were. Um, I learned a great threat to the oneness we're talking about and to the spiritual community that God wants us to have. When I had a conversation with a guy named Alan Hirsch in another city, and he wrote a really great book called The Forgotten Ways that I highly recommend. And uh, one of the things that he explains is that uh, he was a church planter in urban Melbourne, Australia. And it was an urban church plant, much like ours, you know, in, in the middle of a city. And they had all this energy in their church. I mean, it was going great. Uh, you could just feel the energy in the room. But then the energy started to wane in their church. And you know why it happened? According to Hirsch, he says that a lot of people from the suburbs started driving down into the city to be a part of the energy of what God was doing in their urban church. Now, there's nothing wrong with the suburbs, right? I mean, a lot of nice people, a lot of you live in the suburbs, but here's what he said. It wasn't so much their address, but more it was a mindset that infiltrated the church. And you know what the mindset was? It was a preoccupation with comfort and convenience. Comfort and convenience. And the mentality and the mindset of the people in the church transitioned. It changed. And it changed from uh, me for the community or the church and the community for the world. And the mentality changed to the community is here for me. You see the difference? And we have to guard against that, don't we? We have to guard against too much concern for comfort and convenience and making church about me. And Hirsch introduced me to a word that I thought was significant. It's the word communitas. He says your church shouldn't just have community, but we should have what's called communitas. 
Communitas happens in situations where individuals are driven to find each other through a common ordeal, humbling, marginalization, or risk. It involves intense feelings of togetherness and belonging brought about by having to rely on each other in order to survive through a common ordeal. And you know what community does a lot of times in tribes and groups and churches? It becomes this place where Christians get together and hide from the world and huddle and cuddle. Now, there are times when we need some nurturing and some gentle help and some care so we can get healthy again. I understand that. But we can't have this mentality of just huddling and cuddling together to hide from the scary world out there. Look, sometimes it's not always easy to come and worship in the inner city, is it? I know that. I've got this friend that just moved from the country downtown, and he got his first bike stolen. And I thought, dude, that's just the urban tax. I mean, I'm on my third bike right now, all right? I'm praying the fleas of a million camels would nest on the armpits of three different bike thieves, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm on my third one by now. And those of you that live in the inner city, you know that that's just a part of urban life. You know, it's like we just restored the ticket booth out there to the cameo and put glass on it. And like just a few days ago, Someone tagged it, and our contractor was out there scraping it off with a razor blade, you know? Uh, You walk, some of you, from the parking lot across the tracks. You have to walk across railroad tracks. Sometimes you walk by unsavory characters that are asking you for money. Sometimes you come in here. You're sitting right next to someone who's very unsavory right now. You know, some of you are, and that's just a part of urban life, you know? Uh, In fact, two weeks ago, those who were attending the one o'clock service over there at Sunset Station, remember the air conditioning went out over there, right? It was really hot. Not only did you get you to worship God, you lost a little bit of weight when you were worshiping. That's just a part of the deal. Um, Even today in the cameo, we thought we got it all renovated, but the cameo struck back, right? We created, you know, cleaned up the restrooms, made them all nice, redid the plumbing, and like they backed up on us today. It's like the cameo's revenge. But, you know, sometimes it always isn't going to be easy. But one of the things that I love about you guys is for the most part, you roll with the punches and you say, you know, this isn't always designed to be easy. For our prayer moments, it's like it's tight getting out of your rows. You'll have to, you know, but Jesus went to the cross, so surely we can like step over maybe 10 chairs to get down to the front to kneel and pray before him, see? So communitas is about uh, suffering together. And over the years, I've told a story that I got from a really deep and great theological work to understand communitas. And that work is finding Nemo. Remember that? <laughs> great work. Because in that movie, in case you saw it, you know that Marlon, the dad, experienced communitas with Dory when they were on common mission together. Because remember, his son Nemo was lost, and they were willing to go through all sorts of dangers to go and find his lost son. Now, what were they saving Nemo from? Well, remember, he was in a fish tank. He was in an aquarium, and that wasn't what God's design was for Nemo. And so Dory and Marlon went through all sorts of dangers to go and get Nemo out of the fish tank so he could get out and be free and experience the ocean. And look, that's what God has for you and I. Because some of us have been stuck in spiritual fish tanks. Oh, it would seem safe, but it is not the abundant life that Jesus 
created for you and I, you know? Now, last year, they came out with another Nemo movie. Did you see it? Called Finding Dory. And I loved Finding Dory, and I want to tell you why. Because Dory, if you've seen these movies, you know she's a little jacked up in the head, isn't she? (laughs) Dory's got her some issues. So Marlon and Nemo partnered together, and they went through danger and peril to go help Dory. And you know what they were helping her to do? Help her find her home. Find her parents and her home because everyone, according to the scriptures, can have a spiritual father and a home. And here's why I told you that part. Because one of my greatest fears is that we fix up our theater and it becomes about comfort for us. We did not fix up this place to make it more comfortable for us. We fixed up this place so that we can go out to people who are jacked up in the head like many of us and bring them home where they can meet God. We fixed up this place so we can be inspired and encouraged and go out there and bring home lost sons who need their father, who need God. So with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? Lord God, As a church, we commit ourselves today to not play it safe and not focus on comfort and convenience, but stretch ourselves to a new level of faith and obedience to you as we reach outward to help the Dories and Nemos of this world. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to move among us here today in the midst of our prayers. And as we pray, God, we know that some are sensing the drawing of the Father God. A Father God, God, I love the way you draw people in love to yourself that transcends their thoughts or even their emotions. And as you sit and pray right now, if you sense God drawing you to himself, just talk to him in your heart heart and mind and just say something like this, God, I want to come home, not just to a building or a house, but to you, the good father. And I choose to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and Jesus, I welcome you into my life. As we continue in prayer, those of us that have known God, for some time, it's time for us to pray a dangerous prayer. And it's this, God, I'm going to choose to obey you no matter how comfortable it may be for the sake of the Nemos and Dories that you caused to cross my path. Please give me the strength to do what I know you want me to do. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.